Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Amen. All right, grab your Bibles, notebooks, pens. You can text OLC Notes to 94000, and, uh, and that'll get you ready for today. You can fill in the blanks and take notes as we go through this extremely light and easy chapter that we are going to cover today. Nobody believes me. Okay, yes. It's, it's probably just one of the most pivotal chapters in the Bible, so, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, sorry, this mic is... This is just doing weird things. You know, I need to get my prayer team on the microphone situation because that's equally as important. All right, here we go. Jumping into the word. Um, last week, I mentioned a book. And, and I mentioned a book that talks about the feasts and, and how Jesus is seen in each one of these feasts. And I couldn't remember the name of the book. And how many of you are like, I want to know the name of the book, right? So here is the name of the book. The book is Celebrate Jesus. I think that on Amazon, it's like a couple of bucks. It's not actually that, that much money. Um, and it's a really cool little book that go, walks through all of the festivals of the Bible and talks about how Jesus is seen inside of each one of these. It's a really cool book to add to your library, um, to use as you're kind of processing through, reading about these festivals in the Bible and the importance and the power of, of each one. Um, Today, we are going to jump into chapter 10, and chapter 10 is really cool because um, it's really the culmination of one through nine. So everything that Paul has been talking about up to this point is now going to come to a head in uh, Romans 10. So Paul's been talking about how salvation is not by works, it's by faith, how you are dead because of sin and how you need life and how there's no way for us to be able to live according to the law because there's no way to be perfect like that because there's only one perfect person and that's Jesus who actually did fulfill the law. And, and he, he's laying out this whole thing about what it means to have this new life in Christ, this spirit-filled life. And all of the benefits that come with it, it's just really, really cool when Paul starts to lay out what this means, this life that is no longer bound by the law, but is actually free in the spirit to live for Christ. It's this beautiful thing. And it all culminates in Romans 10 and asks the question, if all of this is true, then what must I do to be saved? If I can't save myself, and if the law can actually not save me because I can't live according to the law, if all of this stuff, if, if everything that Paul has said up to this point, that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, and it, lim it puts all of us into this category, if all of that is true, then what do I have to do to be saved? Like, like what do I really have to do? And this question has actually caused a lot of debate. And there's a lot of confusion about it. Because there's a lots of different things. If you talk to different people based off of their background, their history, maybe the churches that they've grown up in, different things, there's this different understanding of what it actually means to be saved. Well, if you live according to these tenets, then you're saved. Well, if you, if you do these things, th then you're saved. Well, if you're just a really good person, then you're saved. And it gets confusing because everybody has kind of a little bit of a different understanding of what that is just based off of a variety of different variables in our life. 
But Paul's going to bring some clarity, and he does this in all of his teachings. I want to pull a couple of verses from, from other books that Paul wrote to paint this picture of the clarity around how we are to be saved. The first of these realities that Paul tells us is that we can't save ourselves. The very root of salvation, the very root of the gospel is the fact that you cannot do anything to save yourself from hell. And in order for us to move forward in anything else that Paul's going to say, and any other reality of salvation, in any other reality of the gospel, we have to get that right first. Ephesians 2 says it this way, 8 and 9, for you are saved by grace through what? Faith. And this is not from yourselves. Your salvation is not from yourself. It's God's gift. It's not from works so that no one can boast, right? It's, it's, it's outside of you. It's the analogy of like swimming in a pool. And if you're drowning in a pool, what do you need? You need a lifeguard to throw you the ring in order to save you. If you're drowning in a pool, you can't save yourself. You need someone outside of yourself in order to save you. So the second thing that Paul then talks about is he says this, the foundation of the gospel is that salvation originates outside of us. Not inside of us, not in the things that we can do, not how we can live, not how we can act, but salvation comes from outside of us. It's not dependent on us. Your salvation is not dependent on the things that you do in this life. Earning your way to heaven. Uh, trying to just adhere to all of these kinds of things. It's not dependent on you. Your salvation isn't dependent on you. And, and can I just say, that's actually probably very encouraging. How many of you are thankful that your eternal salvation and the fact that you are secured through Jesus in eternity is not dependent on you? <laughs> I'm very thankful for that. That should give us a lot of hope. So then if that's the case, the gospel originates in the fact that salvation is outside of us. What is the gospel? One of the clearest articulations of the gospel in scripture, Paul liked, uh, lines it out in 1 Corinthians 15, and he says this, for I pass on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You can't get more simple than that. That is the gospel in a nutshell. And, and because of this, because of what the gospel actually articul articulates, Paul then makes this point. Jesus did what you could never do. I, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that simply whoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus did what we could never do. Boy, I'm so thankful for the cross. I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm so thankful that he came and he willingly sacrificed his life so that we can have a secure salvation and eternity in heaven because of him. I'm so thankful that God sent Jesus to do the thing that I could never do on my own. It's not on me, it's on him. Romans 8 says this, for what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by what? Sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. He said, listen, 
I know my people are imperfect. I know they're bound by this flesh. I know that sin, because of inherited sin, because of Adam, thank you, Adam, really appreciate you, because of that, that we're born into this sin, God recognizes this and says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son so that he can take on all that sin and pay the price for it. Whew, what a weight, but what an amazing thing to be able to live in. So if these things are true, that the gospel originates outside of us, we can't do anything to save us on our, on our own. Jesus came and did what we could never do. Then there's something that's really important for us to be able to understand about the gospel. We have to hear the gospel and that enables us to respond in faith. Hearing the gospel. If you're a believer in this room, there was a moment in your life when you heard the gospel and had an opportunity to respond to it. For some of you, that was something that happened when you were a kid. For some of you, it was something that happened more recently. Whatever it was, there was a moment when the gospel was presented to you when you heard it with your ears and were able to actually activate your faith to believe that what the gospel says about Jesus and your sins being forgiven is actually true and it's accessible by you. There was a moment that something shifted. Romans 10 says this, I'm sorry, no, go back. I'm not going to go to that yet. My bad. Thanks, Lane. The, the, the reality of, actually, no, I am going to go on. Never mind. Keep going. You know, internal conversations with yourself just never go good. Just, just, just don't do it. Romans 10 and verse 14, right? So we jump into Romans 10 now. In this understanding of the fact that we need to hear the gospel in our lives. We need to hear which activates this ability for us to step forward in faith. Romans 10 verse 14 says, now then, can, how then can they call on him if they have not believed in him? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they've been sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, but not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? The reality is that not everybody accepts the truth of the gospel. But, verse 17, so faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. The heard message of Christ, the gospel, is what activates our faith. It's what we actually get to attach faith to. It's not an empty faith. It's not a belief that like, well, I just hope that there's something out there that can save me, maybe, hopefully. But it's the reality that I've heard that God so loved the world, sent his son, that Jesus came to earth, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, rose again. And I believe that what the Bible says that whoever believes in him will have eternal life, that I believe that that's actually the case. Hearing the gospel in our lives is, yes, it was, it was a moment where you heard the gospel and you made a step of faith to begin a relationship with God. And if you haven't had that opportunity, I'm gonna give you that opportunity today. When you hear the power of the gospel, there's something in us where we're met with a choice on how we are gonna to respond to the gospel. But I also recognize this, that as we hear the gospel in our lives, we need to continue to hear the gospel in our lives. The gospel that saved you is the same gospel that continues to sanctify you. 
The same gospel that you heard that turned your heart towards the Lord, the same gospel that you believed is the same thing that you have to believe today. So the question becomes, how are you or are you preaching the gospel to yourself on a daily basis? Are you in the word where what you're reading and what you're discovering is reminding yourself on a daily basis of the power of the gospel in your life? Because we talked about it a few weeks ago. Our minds are so prone to wander. Before we know it, we forget. We forget the power of the cross. We forget the power of redemption. We, we, we miss all this stuff. We have to remind ourselves, and this is why in Deuteronomy, God comes and rem- tells his people, remember, remember. He even says it this way, remember to remember. I mean, it's that important, and they had such a hard time with it. How much greater with us? Remember the gospel. Remember what Jesus did in your life. We, we have some friends, and we were having dinner one night, and one of, the, one of them uh, brought this question that I thought was just such a cool question, and it brought some really cool dialogue to the evening. But the question was this, how is the gospel good news to you today? Yeah. I know how the gospel was good news the day that we gave our lives to the Lord and received by faith salvation. I know how it was good news then. But today, how's the gospel good news to you? Was it just the good news back then, but it hasn't had any shaping power? Or is there something that you see in your life that goes, man, today I am so thankful for the gospel in this way. Because I, walked, I woke up imperfect. I woke up with lots of things going through my mind. Man, I might have even woken up, woken up, waked it up, whatever. I might have even woke up with some weird thoughts. I might have even woke up with some bad attitudes. I might have even woke up and treated my family like absolute garbage. And I'm so thankful for the good news that comes to forgive me that even when I am weak, he is strong and he helps me to move forward. How is the gospel good news to you today? I would encourage you to ask that question every single day. It's a great reflection question. You get done with the end of the day, before you go to bed, sit there and go, how is the gospel good news to me today? I lost my job. How's that good news? Because I still have Jesus. My soul is still saved. And greater is he that is in me than he's in the world. And when everything around me shakens, my steadfast foundation remains the same. How's the gospel good news to you today? Therefore, if all of this is true about the gospel, then our responsibility is to simply respond to the gospel. To respond to the gospel in our lives. We are not responsible to initiate anything. We're responsible to respond to what's already been done. This is what the gospel is. It is a response or asking the question, what must I do to be saved? And it's in light of this that we get to this core chunk of scripture in Romans 10. And this is the one that everybody knows and is powerful. And I want to unpack it for just a couple of minutes. Romans 10 verse four says this, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law. The one who does these things, lives by the law, will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. 
Do not say in your heart, who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. On contrary, what does it say? The message is near to you in your mouth and in your heart. And this is the message of faith that we proclaim, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Paul quotes Moses on a couple things, and I just want to pull these out real quick, because sometimes in a chunk of scripture like that, it's like, okay, what did this all actually mean, right? But he's quoting Moses, and Moses says a couple of things in here. First, he says this, that if you're going to live by the law, you must live to the letter of the law, and it will actually determine if you're going to live. Like for the people that decided, no, I'm going to go back to like doing, following the law. Cause at least I got my understanding of what it is. Okay, that's fine. But you better do all of it to the letter of it or the law will find you guilty and dead. Right. Oh, um, well, uh, I don't, uh, I don't want that. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> the second thing that Paul talks about that Moses actually declares is this, is that we can't work to gain access to Jesus. It's not that you have to work to ascend to where Jesus is or work down to where Jesus is. It doesn't have anything to do with you working to get access to Jesus. Jesus was already, he was already the one that came and paid the price so that he could have a relationship with you. He did all the work so that now all you have to do is respond. See, both of these things, living according to the law, the letter of the law, and letting the law read you, or believing that you actually have to do something to work, to try to to live a certain kind of life in order to even get access to Jesus, both of those things are self-initiated. They're reliant on self. But what Paul says is this, that the answer is actually closer than you think. It's not in all these things that you have to do. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. Boy, this is... That's, that's really cool. I, I like that. And the reality that we understand from what Paul is, is talking about and how he's quoting Moses is this, that the power of salvation is that it's not about what we initiate, but how we respond. We choose. When the gospel is presented, we choose how we're going to respond to that. And, and I want you to know this, that it's a very simple choice, either to receive the work of Christ, receive the gospel into our life or not. It's a very simple choice, but can I tell you it's also very hard choice because everything that is in you in the flesh doesn't want to make that decision because in the accepting of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ also says he's the Lord of my life. He's in charge. He calls the shots. My flesh does not like that. We're given a choice. Deuteronomy says it this way. I just love this. The the emphatic nature of God in this moment. God says, I call on heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I've set before you life and death. I've set before you blessing and curse. And then God says this. I just love this. Choose life. Like I've given you the choice for both. 
I've given you the choice for life. I've shown you what it actually means to receive the life that I've provided through the cross and through salvation. I've given it to you. Choose it. Believe it or not that the desire of the Father is actually that we would have life in him. That we would actually have wholeness in him. But it's a choice. It's a choice. And this brings us to Romans 9. I read it already. But it says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If. If. It's in your hands how you will respond to the gospel. It's in your hands how not only do you respond to the gospel in a moment where you give your life to the Lord, but on a day-to-day, hour-by-hour basis, it is your choice about how you will allow the gospel to work in your life. It's hour by hour, you guys. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm simply saying that there is an ongoing work that God wants to do in your life. And the power of that we have to realize and come into alignment with. Choice. Now, if we choose then to confess and believe We have these two elements here that I want to talk about for a couple minutes, and this is going to be just the meat of where we go as we we, um, spend the rest of our time together. These two elements are belief and confession. Belief and confession. And, And you can think about them this way. I put this phrase together that helps us kind of understanding. Believing is accepting and aligning with the gospel. Confessing is living out our beliefs. So when we actually believe there are some things that take place and the confession is then the outworkings of those belief systems in our life. Whatever you believe will dictate how you live about anything. I mean, if you, if you believe that the the price of food is never going to come down, that will affect how you live. Whatever you believe will have this this thing. So then we talk about belief. We talk about believing. Believing involves this. The first of them is to accept the gospel. If we are going to truly believe in our hearts, we are actually accepting the power of the gospel in its entirety. It's actually believing. I have nothing to do with this except to put faith in the one who did everything. I have to accept it. Now, now this is really, really hard sometimes to accept for this reason. It's, it can be very hard for us to believe that the God of the universe who created you and me would love us so much as to send his son to die in our place because it's really hard for us to believe that we are always worthy of love. We live a lot of life and so many times we get caught in shame. We get caught in condemnation. We get caught in all of these things that we begin to believe about ourselves. And as we believe them about ourselves, we actually believe that the gospel doesn't actually have anything to do with us. And somehow we're nullified from it because how could a God that good love me when I'm not even worthy of love? But the power of the gospel is that God came while you were still a sinner. He sent his son to die on the cross. Not when you got your act together. Not when you were a good person. On your very worst day, 
God loved you so much that he sent his son to die in your place. It paints an entirely different picture, but we have to accept that. And I want to tell you one of, one of the greatest things that the enemy tries to do is get you to not accept that the gospel actually applies to you. The gospel is for good people. The gospel is for people that have their act together. The gospel is for people that don't yell at their spouse or yell at their kids or get angry when they're driving down the road. The gospel is for everybody else. We start to like, uh, is, that, is that true? No, it's not true. The power of the gospel is it comes into every single one of our lives. The reality of it is so simple. None of us deserve it. None of us could ever do anything to possibly earn salvation. And this is why the gospel is so important, but it takes accepting it. Now, the second part of belief is this. It's to align with what God says about us. If we are really going to believe the power of the gospel, then it actually shifts the way we think to align with what God actually says about us, that you're his kids, that you're forgiven, that you're chosen, that he has a plan and a purpose for your life, that he goes before you and behind you and he hems you in on every side. It's actually aligning that I have power, love, and a sound mind because of the spirit of God inside of me. It's actually aligning when the enemy comes and tries to lie about shame. He tries to bring fear and anxiety. We can either align with what the enemy is saying, which never gets us into a good place. And we start doubting who we are and we start living in this place of anxiety. We start living in this place of fear. And we start agreeing with what the enemy is saying. But when we receive the gospel, what we're doing is we're saying, enemy, I'm coming out of alignment with what you're saying over my life. I'm coming out of alignment with condemnation. I'm coming out of alignment with shame. I'm coming out of alignment with guilt and all of these things that you bring. And I'm aligning with what God actually says and believing that what God actually says in scripture towards me is actually true. It's a part, belief is saying, I accept that what you're saying about me is true and what you did for me is true and I'm not gonna give time to these things that could pull me away. Now, does that mean that anxiety and fear and all these things just go away? No, it's a wrestle, it's a day-to-day -day battle and I understand that. But in every moment, and this is why the, the power that God has given us, every moment is a battle, but God has given us the power by the Holy Spirit in every moment to not align with the enemy, but have the strength to be able to align with what he says. If we call on the power of the Holy Spirit, it will motivate us to accept the gospel into our lives and to align with what he says is actually true. So very simply then, where do we find what's true? In scripture. We need to be feeding ourselves this on a regular basis so that when all those lies come, what we're doing is aligning with God, aligning with God. You're nothing, no, I'm his kid. You've failed too many times, no. When I was a sinner, Christ died for me. It's, it's, it's retraining our life and belief is a big part of that. Now, the second part, confession. Confession. 
Confession is not just about what you say. When you actually dig into the Greek meaning behind the word confession, it actually has an all-encompassing meaning behind it. Because, you know this, there has to be consistency between what you say and how you live. Right? Like we know this. You, you know people. It's like they say one thing, but they do a completely other thing. The confession of our heart needs to include what we say from our mouth, but also what we do with our life. Or to put it this way, confession includes our declarations, but also our disposition, our attitudes, our body language. It, it's, think of it this way, and this is the meaning behind this Greek word of confession. It's an entire life communication. So think about it this way. Is your entire life pointing to what you believe about the gospel? Is your entire life confessing he's my Lord and Savior? Is everything that you do, what you say, how you carry yourself, the attitude that you walk around with, is it going to be annoying to people sometimes? Because it's like, why are you so happy? Well, yes, it will be annoying to some people sometimes. But I'm telling you this right now, that if you carry the joy of the Lord, which is your strength, and the reason that it can be your strength is because of the power of the gospel at work in your life, then the confession of your life will look very different. The other idea behind this Greek word of confession is it's to confirm what you believe. Your confession confirms what you believe about God. This is how these two things work together. Now, this is, this is why belief and confession are so important. This is how it works together, is that we can't believe something and not confess it, nor confess something that we don't believe. We're not going to be torn apart in, in, in our life. We have to, the, the confession of our life has to point to what we believe and vice versa with how we live and what we say. And Jesus talks about this when he was having one of these very light, very loving, very peaceful conversations with the religious leaders. He goes, brood of vipers. I mean, he's always doing this, right? You know, like, you guys. And they're like all offended, you know, like you called us vipers, you know. So he's having one of these encouraging conversations. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil. And then he makes this statement, but that this statement is so powerful because it applies to our lives as well. He says this, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. He's saying it as a natural effect. Whatever your heart believes is what you will say. Whatever your heart believes is what you will live. So in other words, we can't believe something and not live it, nor live something that we don't believe. At some point, it will break down. The confession of our lives, if it is not backed with a belief of our heart, will fall apart. Maybe we can fake it for a little bit, but not for very long. This is why Jesus says that we are to love the Lord, our God, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength the whole person together, the whole person together. Now, belief of confession, they're both for this moment where we put our salvation in Jesus, but they also are for living, right? 
First Peter 3 says this, that in your hearts regard Christ as holy, ready to give at any time a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, the hope that you have within you. This believe in this confession is to prepare yourself at any moment when somebody has a question about your life, you're able to actually live out very clearly what you believe inside of you. These are both required in this place. Now, we have this moment where we put our faith, our belief in Jesus, and then a lifestyle of confessing, living out, living before other people, giving a reason for the hope that has within us. We have a lifestyle of doing this, but this is what I understand, that belief and confession are a lifelong daily lifestyle that begins in the word. It has to begin in the word. It has to begin with the truth of scripture coming into our lives that feeds us and feeds the belief that we have and the confession that we hold to. There, there's a lot to this and, and I could go a lot further and, and I'm not going to because time is there and super fun. But I do want to just say this as I get ready to close. Our belief in God is a daily belief that we need to continue to put in him. And the confession of our life, how we live our life, will happen on a daily basis where we start, where we continue to live those things out before him. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifelong lifestyle that we live. And in order for us to do that, we have to be really intentional. Because belief, again, if we go back to what uh, Paul wrote, that, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We have to, on a daily basis, make sure that we are posturing ourselves in a place where we can hear from God so that then we can believe what he's saying and put into action into our lives what we believe. I want to give you a couple questions. These are super practical, and then we're going to just wrap up here. A couple of questions are this. The first one is, what do I hear God speaking to me today? When you're spending time with him in the morning and when you're reflecting on the word and when you're allowing the word to come into your life, what do you hear him saying? Hearing from God can sometimes be very complex or, or I'll put it this way, we make it very complex. I don't know if I've ever heard from God. Have you ever had a verse that has stood out to you when you've read it and you just couldn't get away from it because it kept, man, it kept in your mind all day long? That's God speaking to you. We overcomplicate it to this big, like we have to hear the audible voice of God. And he speaks through his word. That's why he's given his word to us. It's living, it's active. It's the thing that he speaks through. It's the living word of God to us. So as we spend, and this puts a different filter on our time with the Lord, because we start to go into this going, God, what do you want to speak to me today? How, what, what, what are the things that you want to say to me? And then asking ourselves the question, what do I hear him saying today? What are the things that I am hearing that he's speaking into my life today? And then the next question, how will I apply what I heard God saying to how I live? Taking account of this is what I hear God saying to me today out of scripture. And then this is how I'm going to apply it to my life. God said this, and therefore I will do this. Belief and confession is not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing. 
Our belief grows every single day that we are in the word, asking him to speak to us through the word. Our belief grows and grows and our faith grows and grows and grows and enables us to live out a more clear and bold declaration, confession, life that shows what we believe. That's simply my challenge to us today. Is if we really take Paul at his words about what it means to believe and what it means to confess, to live out what we believe, then how do we do that on a daily basis? How do we not lose the things that God speaks to us, but take a hold of them and apply them to our lives? My hope for you this week is you would take those couple of questions and start to process through them on a daily basis. God, what are you saying to me today? And then how am I going to apply that to my life today? How is that going to change the way that I live the rest of the course of my day by what you're saying? Make sense? Okay. As we close today, I mentioned it earlier. But if you're here and you have not ever had the opportunity to respond to the gospel being spoken to you, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. I laid it out earlier really clearly that Jesus came. God loved you so much that Jesus came, died on the cross for your sins, paid the price for your sins so that you could be free and live eternity with him. And all we have to do is put our faith in Jesus to believe that he's our Lord and Savior. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. This confession we talk about comes sometimes in, in, in this moment just comes in the form of a prayer. There's nothing powerful about the prayer other than it's exactly what we talked about. I believe in my heart. And so I'm going to confess it with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. We're going to pray a very simple prayer and all of us are going to be able to do it together today because we're a family. And then we're going to conclude and dismiss for today. But, uh, but if you're here and you're like, no, I'm, uh, today, today, I'm hearing the gospel in my life and I want to put my faith in him today. This moment is for you. This moment is for you to respond to what God is saying into your life. So let's, let's close our eyes as we, as we pray this prayer. And again, just all of us praying it out loud and believing this in our heart. Jesus, I thank you that you were willing to obey the Father, go to the cross, die, take my sins on you, raise again, and have victory over death and over sin. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And today, I put my faith in you as my Lord and as my Savior. Today, I make a decision to live my life for you, my King and my God. And I thank you for it. And everybody said, amen, amen.